Hello, and welcome to Artfully Told, where we share true stories about meaningful encounters with art. I think artists help people have different perspectives on every aspect of life. All I can do is put my part out into the world. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. It doesn't have to be perfect ever, really. I mean, as long as you, you're enjoying doing it and you're trying your best, that can be good enough. Art is something that you can experience with your senses and that you just experience as, as so beautiful. Hi, friends. Whether you are just getting started or you're a seasoned professional looking to up your game, I have an exciting opportunity for you. Did you know that I am actually the creator of 10 different courses online that range from ballet, jazz, tap. They also include a mindset detox course and two stretch and tone courses. So if you're looking to start a new hobby or get a little bit fitter, or you're looking to do a deep dive into your mindset and really perform a true detox, I have the course for you, and I would love to help you out with that. So if you go to elevateart.thinkific.com, you will see all of the different courses I've created. You don't have to step in a classroom to take your first dance class. I teach a signature 20 moves in 20 days course that allows you to learn 20 steps in just 20 days. It's a lot of fun. We have a great time together. And I think you're going to absolutely love the different courses and artfully told listeners get a little something from me. So if you go, you'll sign up and use the promo code artfully told all one word. And when you do so, you'll get 15% off the purchase of any and all your favorite courses. All right, listeners, enjoy that. Again, it's elevateart.thinkific.com. See you there. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Artfully Told. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am excited to have as my guest today, Justin Alcala, who is an author, tabletop gamer, and self-proclaimed nerd ninja from Chicago. And I am just so excited to hear exactly what that means, because (laughs) I know there's a rich history I can already tell that goes into to becoming who that person is. So thank you so much for being here, Justin. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. You can add literary misfit to it. Oh, (laughs) I like it. I like it. Fantastic. Yeah, and dork, but no. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to hear all about all of it. So I would just love if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about, you know, your background, maybe how you got started into art in the first place, and then what's occupying your life now. Ooh, all right. We'll start off uh, with a doozy. So I was, I'm a, yeah, I'm a novelist, a short story writer, and I was sort of my background. I was raised in the sootier part of the South Side of Chicago. By no means that I have it bad, but I, you know, observe some colorful events here and there that everyday people might not be witness to. But that plus, I went to a little more stringent Catholic school, and, and sort of union of the two taught me be quiet, comply. Don't be weird. And uh, what I realized, though, is, you know, life is weird. And so, those you know, those curious thoughts, the innocently spooky, funny, kinky ones, you know, that's really what makes a, 
a human who they are. That's hard to ignore. So once I figured that out and I figured out that I wanted to get into writing during college, I just sort of combined it all to sort of start my writing career. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so having the experience of feeling like you had to conform and, and fit a certain mold, how did that inform what you do now? Yeah. So long story, you know, my parents were blue collar artists. My mom was a painter. My dad, he did glass blowing, metal work. He did all sorts of uh, things. But, you know, to to make ends meet, they, they both worked very hard. And I was in Catholic school and there were many rules. And, you know, so you have these interesting things where you're you're in the this, we'll call it you know, industrial world growing up. And uh, long story short, after a while, it started feeling wrong to always stay quiet always i was a little pipsqueak nerd by the way and so <laughs> it, opening my mouth either could get me beat up it could get me in trouble with the, the nun's ruler or just get me funny looks so i stayed quiet for a long time but then there's just one day where when i was going to college believe it or not i started off i was going to be a police officer and thank god i didn't go down that one because i probably could fight fight my way out of a wet paper bag but um i had always been writing uh since i was a kid my poor buddies john and dave and all of them johnny i would write them comics and order sort of graphic novels and other small pieces and force them to read them but one day i was in college and i was taking an english class and i had that eureka moment where i'm like i'm already always writing i had been tabletop writing for a while as well just you know my friends playing dungeons and dragons all those great stuff and i realized that i loved it and so I started indulging into it and kind of talking to professors. And as well, I knew a couple people who knew editors for publishers. And it, it kind of just sparked off from there. And, you know, eventually you get some good encouragement. You get bad encouragement too, but you get good encouragement and people saying, hey, you know, you're really good at this. And, you know, that was, holy smokes, 15, you know, 16 years ago. And now, what? Poof, what do you know? You know, we have four novels out, about 30 publications and still going strong. And it's just been it's been fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, I know sometimes it can be hard to to finally let your voice be heard if you're not used to doing so. But kudos to you for getting to that place and and and, you know, recognizing that it it's not only okay to be different, it's great to be different. I mean, people are unique and there are lots of different types of people who sort of end up liking the same things. Like, you know, I'm sure you met a whole group of people who were all tabletop gamers that just got along super well and it's not like you by yourself anymore, <laughs> you know, it's this group of people. Right. The You unionize, right? There you go. I like it. I like it a lot. So, you know, as somebody who is not as familiar with that world, you had mentioned writing, tabletop writing. And I'm curious because, again, this is, I, I'm not super familiar, so I'm just curious when you play these games, can you describe for those of us who don't know what it's like when you're playing them? So are you simultaneously writing it as you go? Oh, yeah. I'm going to warn you right here. This is about to get as nerdy as you can. This is going to sound painfully geeky, but uh, let, let's walk you through the process. So long story short, you and a couple other people, you get together, you pick your game you want to play. That's kind of your environment. That's your world. You know, uh, you can think of a fan fiction. It, it's some, It's what you want your protagonist to stay in. Your friends, they go ahead if uh, you're going to be the storyteller and 
they pick their protagonist and they create them. And there's all sorts of rules that takes a couple years of advanced math to figure out. But once you do all that, you are you are their enabler. You tell their story. You move them through the story arc based off of this world that you've sort of created. And through rolls of dice and stuff, you find out actually what the answers are. But what I found out was as I was going along, you know, everyone starts off pretty painful. That's the fun thing about the beginning is there are so many parallels with just writing a book, writing uh, a graphic novel, writing whatever your novella that coincide completely with you just sitting around eating Doritos and drinking Mountain Dew with your nerdy friends <laughs> while you play elves and wizards. So yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> and I promised it would be nerdy and holy smokes. Probably nerdier than I thought it would be. <laughs> no, I love it. And I do appreciate it because it is something that's really interesting to me, but I haven't dabbled in it yet. So I'm I'm always curious to know, okay, these art forms that I haven't learned about yet, like just tell me all the details. I and I love the nerdy nitty gritty. You put your you have to put your your guard down in order to enjoy, but once you do, holy smokes, I've I've had some of the most serious uptight people play these games and afterwards they're like when can we do this again? It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I promise. It sounds like it, because it sounds like a great blend of creativity and storytelling combined with the element of a, a certain level of chance, I guess, based on the dice and things like that. So you kind of have your story going, but then you also get the elements of, <laughs> I don't know, sounds like real life to me. You You plan ahead, you have this idea for your protagonist, and then... Life throws you a couple dice that you wouldn't have chosen. Does that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then to add to that, to piggyback to that, and then you're doing it all with your buddies and friends. So it's a relaxed environment. It's a lot of fun. You get to sort of just play chalkboard with your own brain. It's a great time. Yeah. Well, and then, so I'm I'm interested, is it, how long do these games typically last? Oh, goodness. These days, so now that I have, now that I have children, I've had to taper it down a bit. So I, you'll meet maybe once a week or so if, if all schedules work out, and you'll do it for three or four hours. Long ago, before my friends and I, the basement trolls, we had our responsibilities. You could do it all day, thirteen, fourteen hours. Show up at someone's house before lunch, midnight, one in the morning. You're you're heading home, finally calling it quits for the day. So it, it all depends on uh, your group, but they can go for a very long time. Wow. And then they can go, their campaigns themselves goes for years. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> it's commitment for you. I mean, I used to think oh, that for sure. a game of Monopoly was commitment, but no. <laughs> I can oh see no. That. This is a whole nother league. <laughs> Oh, man, that's fantastic. Okay, and so <laughs> obviously that, you know, sparked this interest in, and realization that like, oh, if I can do this here, then I can also, I can write my own books. So tell me about the process of of maybe your very first book, because I would imagine, and you can tell me if I'm incorrect, but I would imagine that might have been the hardest one just because the whole process was newer to you, but... Tell me about that. The first hurdle is always the worst hurdle, right? And I think I was what I was doing, if I can jump back into the Wayback Machine, I was already writing, but I just didn't have the courage to really take it seriously. And so because, you know, writing something for yourself is fun, but um, actually creating something and 
sending it out to the world, that takes a great amount of courage and bravery. And most people, you know, they never they never want to do that. They never want to press that send button. And I think all that gaming actually really did was show me, here's some of the other tools for, you know, creating yourself a plot. And also gave me the courage to say, it's not that big of a deal. Just try it, do it. But my first book, Consumed, which is, I think it came out in 2011 or 2012, its first edition, was something that I had been brewing on for a long time. I, I grew up in an interesting house on the south side. It was the, some people called it the haunted house. There was, I could go into a whole nother story about, there were tunnels from the prohibition under our house and the house across the street from us that connected. But that's a whole nother thing. But there was, uh, it was a kind of a creepy house. And I always liked ghost stories as well. And when we'd go to the libraries, I would always pick up the goosebumps. I'd pick up the, scary stories to tell in the dark. And so I'd been sitting on those and then along with borrowing my mom's interview with the vampire book and Dracula books, I sort of had all these stored up ideas. And so finally, when I had the bravery to create something, it was a mismatch, a mishmash of pretty much all writers' first books are, holy smokes, uh, borrowed as heck. It was a mishmash of everything from Sherlock Holmes to Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it was all put together in this Victorian London mystery. And I put it together. And when I finally said, oh, I think this is great, I sent it out to the world. And then I got a rejection. And then I got two rejections, three, four, five. And the only thing that I think really helped me to get that first book published, which if anyone's listening and you're thinking about publishing a book, your first one is by far the hardest one. The only thing that kept me going was that, you know, I I, I just knew that if you continue, someone's got to be drunk enough or high enough to, <laughs> to put it somewhere, right? <laughs> so eventually I, I, I did get that almighty heavenly choir email from Zarme Publishing, which since unfortunately has closed up, but said, hey, we love it. Let's work with it. And it, they assigned me some editors, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a tough process. You have to, have to, have to be ready to take very raw, very straightforward opinions and not be offended. A lot of people can't do that. And I will, I will say early on, I really did struggle with that. Nowadays, I, I asked people to rip me apart, publisher of Parliament House. I was talking to the editors during a production meeting and I said, please, whoever, whichever editor you signed to this, I want it extra ripped apart. I need it. I need this to be torn apart. But early on, it was very difficult. But you go through that process. It's a year or two process of, of getting it on the pages and making it fit right. And then you get out. And let me tell you, there's no more special feeling than that first book getting out. Nowadays, I look at that first edition. I think I have an old you know, dog-eared version somewhere in my office and it is cringeworthy but the but at the time it was it was amazing it was a miracle yeah of course and that is that is so cool just that moment of holding it in your hands i bet after all that hard work and the rejections and all the things and then you just get to hold it and you're like Oh. oh my goodness. Please, please, please. There's no, it doesn't have to be me, but if you have any, anybody you follow that's a writer or whatnot, even the big, the biggest of big dogs, even the, you know, the Andrew Smiths and Christopher Moores, every, every purchase counts might just be 15 bucks for you, but every purchase counts towards things. And every review is, is a little bit of saying thank you. And I love you to those people for the, 
the uh, crazy amount of work that you sometimes have to put in the books. Uh, and authors love doing it. Don't get me wrong, but it, it does. It's a nice pat on the back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that probably goes for all art forms. Anytime that you have a chance, I'll just get on my oh, soapbox for, sure, yeah. for a second here. But anytime you have a chance to sh- show an artist a little love, even it doesn't even like money is obviously very important. So we have all have bills to pay. But even if it's just like a, hey, I, I see you. I see what you're doing. Good job. I love it. Like those kinds of things matter so much. I don't know if you're the same way, Justin, but just those are kind of little affirmations. It doesn't have to be anything huge, but it makes a big difference. For sure, for sure. And, and you know, I've I've kind of, to this day, I, I've, you could say, grown thick skin to where I don't need the confirmations. But when I get, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of give the little, you know, thumper from Bambi look. My eyes get big and I, <laughs> it's, you know, it does feel nice. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yes, I, I relate to that. I think especially early on in your career, the more encouragement you can get and constructive criticism. I mean, you have to have both, but the more that you can get feedback, the better. But then I do agree that, you know, later on as you're an established profess- professional and you're like, well, I, I do kind of understand how to do this then, but it is still nice every time. I'll just throw that out there. So, yep. Absolutely. Well, okay, so we're just we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about those prohibition tunnels. I just I I can't let that. <laughs> it's a niche that must be scratched, yep. huh? I, uh, so tell me about this whole thing. <laughs> not a problem. So I grew up in a house where uh, you know we'll say some some spooky, interesting things happen. I we we could go on the debate of what it was if it was explainable or not. But the legend behind the house that we had like an old school, you know, that guy in the corner who's, you know, 70, 80, and he's seen it all in this town. You know, there's always a legend that there's tunnels under our house. And he would tell us how he would see gangsters back in the day go in there into our house and then come out the other house with bags or there's a golf course across the street from us as well that allegedly the tunnels went through too and they'd see them coming out but long story short the rumor is that al capone's south side squad pretty much they they're they financed those houses for the builders and the, the catch was that when we need to pretty much run booze you just comply and uh, you get the house for free when you went into our basement there was all it's a creepiest as creepy as it could be the set of a horror film cobwebs and cement floors and rafters but on the walls it was all just solid and blank except for one little section where it was bricked up and if you went into the house across the street which a buddy of mine lived there same exact thing facing each other and everything if you went down there you'd feel cold breezes from it and we never wanted to open it up though because obviously that would you know, it could destroy the structure. But later on in life, it, it was very strange. Later on in life, though, you know, it was always a myth and legend. I was working corporate world, and this manager came in out of nowhere and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, I I used to live on the south side of Chicago, and I said, you know, well, "I lived on the south side." We were both working downtown at the moment, and uh, we started comparing notes. Turns out, his great uncle was the guy who helped build those tunnels in between. And he said that they were paid triple, and this was during a time when jobs were 
really at an all-time low, so they had to take the job. But they were sworn to secrecy, and the only time he said anything was on his deathbed that there were tunnels under there. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I lived in that house. You know, he was just trying to tell a fun story. And I was like, no, no, that was my house. That was my house. So turns out to this day it was true, but also a lot of spooky, interesting things happen in between sounds and some weird sightings that we just can't explain. And we think it's maybe the builder of the house or the gangsters that up. Oh my goodness. That story is fantastic. I think I was just sitting here smiling, but with like my mouth open the whole time of like, what? Uh, and obviously these have, you know, helped me inspire some of my, some of the horror stories that I've had in anthologies because you don't grow up for 18 years in a house like that and then not tell any of those stories in other ways. Yeah, of course. Oh my goodness. That is, <laughs> Wow. Well, that is a yeah, very right. unique like background to draw from. So, I mean, obviously, it gave you lots of material, if that's any. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, and to this day, once again, I mean, these days I'm fearless about it. But, you know, you can bring it up to some people and they look at you like, okay, this guy is not dealing with the full deck here. But it's uh, it's true. Weird things did happen in our house. But and also, there were definitely some tunnels in between our houses that the Southside Mafia used during the Prohibition to flip to flip. Booze. And a funny add on to that story, when I was moving out, my father passed away when I was 18 and I decided I wanted to go and do the, you know, the, the head on out and live my own life story. But my friend and I just out of curiosity said, dude, let's see if we could break a brick down in that wall. We did. And there was another brick wall, clay bricks after that. But the insulation, there was crumpled up newspapers in between and sure enough, they were from the 20s. They were barely faded, and you could barely read some of them. But uh, yeah, they were dated from the 20s, etc. It was it was pretty neat. We didn't go uh, any further. We, we chickened out after that, though. <laughs> oh, my word. That is amazing. And also, I am so curious. Do you know if anything has ever come of those houses? Like, has anyone decided to be like, okay, this is historic. We're going to figure out what actually happened. Is there anything like that? So regrettably, it's quite the opposite. The house across the street, uh, a lawyer bought it and turned it into a business where he just works out of his house. It was a beautiful house across the street. And our house, unfortunately, it had always had, even growing up, some some mild issues with, with it. And then we had a fire that is a whole nother story. I had to jump out of a window in my, in my underwear when I was 17 to survive. <laughs> but after it was repaired from the fire, it was not repaired correctly. And the entire walls and everything from the water damage of the firefighters molded everything up. And I hear it is unfortunately in ruins now. Oh, sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I know. But no, that's okay. But so... I, you know, what we should probably do is go in on it and buy it and then finally go break out that uh, basement and see if there's any money in there. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> or anything. I'm just like, there could be so much. It's killing me a little bit. There could be so much historical, you know, anything there. It's just fantastic. What a story. Oh, my word. Yeah. When I, when I was a kid, I was afraid and, you know, that I would tell stories about it. That was going to turn into a Goonies episode where there's skeletons and slides with spikes. And But now the, nowadays, I'm thinking uh, there's probably just old garbage in there <laughs> in between. Yeah. Who knows? 
Yeah, probably, but still, that's the fun thing, I guess, about being an author, is you can create your own ending to it, and you don't have to go with what it actually is. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, that is so fun. Well, I'm, I'm curious, I know you're a dad now, and congrats on that. And I'm, Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm curious how that has informed your work, or has it changed, obviously it's changed your time availability, but... Has it changed other elements about the way that you produce art? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but in a good way. So as far as the schedule goes, now it just means I have to wake up super early. I wake up at 6 a.m. and try to get as much in before I heard the first, oh, daddies from my daughter, Lily. But you do have to wake up a little bit earlier. But I think what it's also done is that children are fantastically innocent and they can say these amazingly prolific things to you that is just raw thoughts to them that gets you thinking again it gets you questioning things pieces that you might have thought back in the day were overused or just hack as far as stories and ideas your kids can really inspire you to do uh, something with them but it doesn't change your dna as a writer whatsoever i mean i am working on a story right now that will be out 2022 the last stop which is pretty much a kid's horror book think of you know the things that probably growing up you had the goosebumps and and whatnot. But uh, in my opinion, and, you know, people have scoffed at me before, is like those books for me as a child really helped me out. They were great tools for me because if you deny a child the the chance to understand that there are things out there that are bad, you know, there are dark and spooky things out there, you're also denying them the tools to deal with those things. So for me and my kids, I mean, uh, my kids and I, sorry, Halloween, spooky stories, it's all fun for them. They are very much acclimated to it. They they know scary stories. We do it. We, we're not... Um, the Adams family about it. We do it in small increments and we have fun with it, but they understand that we do not keep that from them. And it's gone so much as to inspire me to try to go ahead and indulge middle grade writing and see where it takes me as far as writing spooky stories for kids. Oh, I really like that. And I, I think that you're spot on. I think that sometimes in an effort to want to protect innocence and that is noble too but in an effort to do so we sort of veer a little too much on the other side and protect too much instead of giving kiddos an opportunity especially through stories because what a powerful way to it's fiction it's not real so what a powerful way to share truths about life and get them you know to a point where they can learn how to overcome some things that happen that are scary so yeah kudos to absolutely you. And, and art is it's so interesting because kids get art. You know, art is creation through aptitudes and inspiration, you know, in order to communicate something wonderful. And, you know, and for me, it's using also what's playful, awkward, maybe a little spooky, a little dorky to tap into the human element and entertain. And I'll tell you what, kids, I feel, get it far better than adults. You know, there's a lot of complications that come with adults when it comes to taking in art of any form from painting to writing. It be, just because you have your a lot of your own experiences that you filter it through. But kids, they take it, they take the lessons of it, they take the, the metaphors, all of it, and they put it to great use. So, you know, we I don't think sometimes we give kids enough credit when it comes to art and the translation of it, but they're fantastic at it. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. 
And it's such a fun, different perspective when you talk to a, a kid about their experience with art versus an adult. And I think, yeah, well, they just have a more, like you said, kind of filtered view because of things that they've gone through or just their perception and things like that. And kids are just like, well, it's a butterfly, clearly. like, <laughs> Right. Oh, my gosh. And my daughter, it's funny, you know, she can say the most uh, prolific things to me, you know, about, about why did you do that, Lily? And, well, my heart told me to. It feels right, and I think that's something that that everyone should do. And you you're, you sit and you go, "Wow!" And then her next sentence is, "You know, let's go get some Cheetos." <laughs> it's the it's the best of it's the yin and the yang of life. Oh, I love that, and it, and that's it. Kind of sounds like something I would say now, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Let's be real. <laughs> Right. It's just it's just a filter. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my goodness. Well, this is fantastic. And I know that, you know, a big thing that you're passionate about sharing with people is to embrace your embrace your inner dork or your nerdy side or what makes you unique. Do you want to share a little bit about maybe some advice you have for somebody who's afraid to put their work out there because they just don't feel like they go along with the the majority or or what's normal whatever that means yeah absolutely the problem is uh a lot of times you know and and hopefully my contribution to life someday is is inviting people to embrace what makes them unique you know and i do it through stories obviously but just life in general you know we have these unique situations in life strange characters and people like to suffocate that within themselves they like to tell themselves you know this is nothing society wants me to act this way i'm supposed to interpret how i feel not by my own you know, in the words of my daughter, not by my own heart, but by the way people tell me to do things. And we invest far too much in what people think. I will tell you now the most liberating thing I ever did was was just write because I'm nerdy and uh, weird and I'm a little strange. And I just, I wrote it, I got it out. And let me tell you, at first when I was writing and suffocating all these ideas, people would tell me my writing was just meh. Stepped up and just let it be free and and put myself on the pages people are like this is fantastic i could feel the human element this the dialogue is great this is this seems real to me this is tangible even when i write some of the goofiest of things and so i would encourage anyone to just you know metaphorically walk down the street naked and i'll tell you what people people you don't need in your lives are going to go away and the people who stick around after they hear your true voice, not only will it be liberating for you, but the, those are the, the greatest people that will um, encourage you to the future. And that's not just writing. Obviously, for me, the, the lesson is to do with writing, but that's just life in general. Be you. And I guarantee you, for me, I was me. And it really helped me kick off my writing career. But it also just helped me be a happy person. Um, People who know me what they know what they're gonna get. They're gonna get some weird, weird, strange talk from me. Some ideas on what would happen if we could, if, you know, fly through space. Goofy, goofy ideas about everything from Cthulhu to Tony the Tiger. But if they're laughing about it, fantastic. That's what you get with me. But you should do the same. You should just stop being who people want you to be and be yourself. It's very rewarding. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I love that advice. And I, I agree. Something that you said kind of stood out to me, too, of, 
you know, you're talking about the people who don't need to be in your life will leave and the people who do need to be in your life will will stay and the, and they'll be supportive. And I think one element to that, too, is the more that we are able to liberate ourselves, the more liberating that can be to other people. And so the more that we're willing to be vulnerable in a sense and put our true selves out there, I think that opens up opportunities for other people to do the same where they might feel otherwise nervous or scared to. But then in the context of you being willing to be honest and talk about your failures, talk about your successes, talk about the bumps and the good points, I think it makes a big difference for other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. Once you start seeing other people do it, or once you do it yourself, the other people inspire you. But And once you start doing it, you will inspire others. And I, I think it's all very good for the world. We are such a I don't want to I don't want to go on too long, but we are such a society who just needs approval of others. And I tell you what, that's probably the biggest cancer of my life was when I did do that. And, you know, there are things that dictate it. You know, obviously, if you're working a corporate world, you have to have managers approvals and et cetera, et cetera. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about letting other people affect your life. And I think hopefully someday, you know, with with the if you pick up one of my books, you you will get that. There will be examples left and right to tell you to be yourself. I love that. And and speaking of that, where can we find your work and follow it and be a part of your journey and, and support you? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you can go to www.justinalcala.com. That sort of has a portal to everything. But I'm on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, anything, anywhere where great books are uh, written and, and sold. And currently, I am October 6th, I believe, Parliament House Publishing, and I are working on uh, a dead-end job. And uh, that'll be out. You can pre-order that. Please do if you can. It's You get a little discount if you do it now. But it, it's a fantastically weird story. And I think uh, I, I'm really proud of it. I think we've really worked hard, the editors and I, in getting it out for readers. Perfect. Yes. And I just want to make a quick note, and I hope I'm speaking correctly, but pre-orders are really important for book sales. They're really important for the author and for, yeah, so as much as you can support the authors ahead of time and go ahead and pre-order your book, it it helps those books, once they are actually published, to rank higher on the list and more people can see them. So if you're interested in supporting authors, please do so that way. The more pre-orders you get, the higher in the rankings and the free advertisements and the recommendations other people receive. So literally people pre-ordering, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'll just get it when it comes out. Literally pre-ordering is going to an artist, a writer on another tier as far as their sales go. And it literally helps them once the book comes out, start going shoulder to shoulder with the big dogs instead of possibly just going with, uh, you know, something that is someone's, you know, possible fun fan fiction that they went ahead and published and it's just for fun and they're, it's more of a, a good hobby for them. Um, not to say that's not important, but it, it helps. It helps the artist, all the work that they've put into it, go shoulder to shoulder with other people who deserve it. Perfect. Yes. Awesome. Okay, well, this has all been fantastic. I do have three questions that I always like to ask my guests, if you're okay with that. Sure. Okay. I'm game. Okay. Let's do it. Fantastic. 
First of all, how do you personally define art or what is art to you? Yes, I think I may have said it before that art is creation through the aptitude and inspiration in order to communicate something amazing. And for me, you know, it's using what's playful, awkward, and a little dorky to tap into the human element and entertain. I love it. Okay. And then what do you think is the most important role of an artist? The most important part is to communicate and inspire. If you have to find a fundamental way to connect to someone through your medium, and once you communicate with them, you inspire them um, to take what you said and make it their own thing. And for books, any character story, once I get it out into the world, it is no longer my story. It is the reader's story. What they think is far more important about the protagonist, the antagonist, the plot, than anything that I've dreamed up. It is their world to be inspired and kind of take it into their own lives and contribute. Perfect. And then my final question, and you sort of maybe touched on your answer for this, so I'll be curious to know where you go with it, but do you think that art should be inclusive or exclusive? And I will define my terms. So by inclusive, I'm referring to an artist who puts their work out there and provides some context behind that, whether it's program notes or the inspiration title or something, versus exclusive, referring to an artist who puts their work out there and doesn't provide the context. And so it's left entirely up to the viewer or the participant to decide what they I am 100% I'll fight people through the uh, end of the earth exclusive. I think that once you create something and get it out to the world, whether you hang up a painting or write a book, it is no longer yours. You don't need to describe it. I think when you do, the only thing that you really do, for me, writing, I'm taking the best medium that I have in order to create something for enjoyment. Why would I take something like my clumsy tongue and then try to explain what I've already created for the person to enjoy? It is theirs. It is exclusive to them. And over-explaining it just really is always a bad idea. Sure. Yeah. So do you, so then out of curiosity as my follow-up question, do you ever personally do like author talks where people can ask you specific questions? Absolutely. But I always, (laughs) I always uh, make sure to to let them know this is just one idiot's opinion (laughs) this is this is just my opinion and hopefully you could take whatever's in my books and and come up with a better answer for it but i am more than happy to take talks and i and i've done so i i'm probably rubbish at them but i do do it but i always warn people that you're probably best just reading the book to get that answer out of me but sure of course i'll always answer fair enough very good Well, Justin, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Your stories are, Uh, your stories are fantastic. I can't wait to read your books and just, yeah. Thank you for just embracing who you are and sharing that with the world. Obviously, it's resonated and it's going to continue to resonate. It's going to continue to inspire people who might feel like they can't do that. So thank you for, for leading the way in that. And yeah, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate your time together. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I had a great time. Good, good. And thank you so much to everyone who has listened to this episode. I highly encourage you to check out Justin's work, pre-order his latest book, help support 
his artistic journey. And if you're feeling as inspired as I am right now, I would love if you would share this episode with a friend or two, and we will catch you next time. If you have a story to share with us, we would love that so much. And I hope your day has been artfully told. Hi, friends. I wanted to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to fall in love with just as I have. It's called Harlem with a View, and it is hosted by Harlem Lennox, who was a previous guest of mine on Artfully Told and a dear friend. Just because it looks easy doesn't mean it is. There is so much that goes into the work of a creative. She wants to know how the artists got into their line of work, what inspires them, but most importantly, what keeps them going. She asks them about how they make it through the blood, sweat, and tears. She wants to know what it's like to live this creative life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and even the magical. So she goes behind the scenes with creatives from different genres, and she explores their history, their take on life, and talks about the business of art and the dedication of making art. She has a brilliant, brilliant platform. I think you will fall in love. I highly recommend that you search for Harlem with a view. Thanks.